0: Okay, good morning. This is Richard Hsu, host of Shoe Untied. Uh, today, I'm very pleased and honored to have with me as my guest, a uh, Professor Cass Sunstein, who's a Harvard Law School professor, a noted author, author of many best-selling books. Professor Sunstein, welcome to the show. A pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So, Professor Sunstein, I'd like to ask you... Um, Outside of your – obviously you're a legal scholar, you're a professor at Harvard Law School, but you've obviously written a number of other books on uh, social things, psychology, nudge, your Star Wars book, now your most recent book, The Republic. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how you would characterize um, that area of interest or how how do you – what is the theme among all those books that you write outside of sort of your legal scholarly work?
1: Uh, They all have different themes, but um, maybe a unifying idea is uh, human decision-making. So if you're studying law, you're thinking, how are human beings going to react to some rule that involves, let's say, cigarette smoking or complying with contractual obligations? And you might think people are going to, you know, figure out what is going to maximize their profits, um, including their tastes and their desires. Or you might think uh, people are going to react a little bit differently. If they see the law, maybe they'll think, I'm just going to obey that. Or maybe they'll be mad and they'll see the law and they'll think, I'm going to violate that. And behavioral economics really is about uh, human decision-making, and so the work I've done on uh, nudging and on uh, group decision-making, that all, all is rooted in behavioral science and behavioral economics.
0: Now, how did you sort of get interested in that? I mean, obviously, I see the relationship to law, but you know, most law professors are you know, really focused on the legal side. How, how did you sort of get interested in that?
1: I taught at the University of Chicago for many years, and when I was a kind of kid law professor, I was surrounded by uh, extremely brilliant and impressive people who said that human beings are rational. They figure out what the probabilities of various events are, and what the outcomes associated with the events are, and they run the numbers. And that's how my colleagues and friends thought about many legal issues. And while I was not an economics major and I had no advanced training, I did think that that picture of human beings wasn't really right, and I was grasping with some um, some combination of passion and desperation for actual academic work that could figure out how human beings really do act and how they how they do respond to, to tough problems or even easy problems. And I discovered in the 1980s uh, the work of Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, who are the founders of Modern behavior. Science and Richard Thaler, who became my great friend and co-author, and the, he was the originator of behavioral economics. And when I read their work, it was as if there was uh, an explosion of light uh, of the most pleasant kind in my mind, and it was like uh, meaning illumination that my now, own did you
0: always been interested in psychology, or did you study that in college or anything like that?
1: No. I mean, you know, if you're a human being, you're probably a little bit interested in psychology, if only to figure out why your girlfriend doesn't like you as much as you'd like. But I was interested in uh, literature. I was an English major in in college, but it really came as a result of seeing the most powerful minds in law in the 80s being in the grip of a uh, the theory of human behavior, which seemed, um, let's say, incomplete. Well, tell me a little about the
0: new book that you've just written, this hashtag Republic book. How did that idea come to you, and what was the genesis of uh, you wanting to write that book? Uh,
1: When the internet kind of exploded, um, uh, it was clear that uh, for democracy and medicine and law, something quite fantastic had happened and the the explosion meant that uh, people would have access to information that was uh, unprecedented and that was fantastic. Uh, but I had a concern back from really long ago that you would end up possibly being in an echo chamber of like-minded types and that some of the kind of beautiful things in our legal system, including the public forum doctrine, which means that the streets and parks are open for expressive activity, would in a sense be lost, because people wouldn't um, have uh, that kind of encounter with disparate people and ideas, uh, or at least they might not, if they create a kind of information cocoon. So i would worried over this and written on this uh, for a few years, but within the last maybe 18 or 19 months in particular, the problem of uh, Facebook and Twitter and websites generally being used as a, uh, an, a system for uh, echo chamber uh, the, uh, uh, sorting seemed to me a, a big problem.
0: How did you go about researching this, or how did you go about you know doing the research necessary to write the book on on such a such a sort of what seems like sort of a nebulous topic?
1: Uh, well, there are a lot of different as you say uh areas to research, so for me, the most challenging um was and remains some. A- continue to research it, uh, trying to figure out how people are actually using social media. So is it the case that people are sometimes broadening their horizons? So that is something on which there is a great deal of emerging research, but a lot of it is you know, in the preliminary stages. Some of it's online, but it's not published yet. And so that was a big um, research challenge for me. Uh, a lot of what the book is about is is our history of uh, let's call it, communications democracy. And to what extent do we um, value the capacity for serendipity where you just encounter stuff that you wouldn't have chosen, but it might change your life or change your mind at least. And that is something that wasn't quite as hard for me because I had uh, a background in constitutional law and constitutional history, but, um, but it really put me through my paces uh, to, to do research to make sure that I was in command of the material.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about what was maybe perhaps one thing that you learned that was different than what you thought when you started the project, even though you were thinking about this topic and written about it, but what was something that maybe you learned that you didn't know beforehand?
1: I learned from some very good social scientists that a lot of people are using uh, the internet and social media the internet in particular um, to find stuff that is uh, different from what they originally thought so so my thesis which is that people use uh, online uh, sources to self-select into echo chambers it, it withstood the analysis but it got a lot more complicated and what I should have seen going in I didn't see clearly enough that you know, there's a lot of diversity out there there are a lot of people People who are in significant part open-minded, and uh, I, I should have known that, even with respect to online behavior. and In some sense, I'm sure I did, but it certainly didn't have the data. And the data is pretty impressive.
0: So it seems like um, you know groups like moderates would respond very well to sort of these ideas. Is that is that do you find that that is the case? That the readers who are sort of you know really quite moderate, find that this is uh, these ideas are most compelling
1: early days with the book, but I found uh, a gratifying level of um, recognition and, uh, let's say, uh, constructive engagement on the part of readers. So you write a book like this that can be seen as a big slap at uh, Facebook and Twitter and you know, the ability to find your own stuff and basically just to live in your own stuff. Uh, and a slap at that might seem, um, you know, terrible. Why would you criticize things that people really love? Uh, but I found, even on the part of people in Silicon Valley, uh, uh, an extremely, um, not necessarily, I wouldn't say they agree with the all well, the book, but they do agree there's a problem there. The the problem of the information cocoon, the problem of greater extremism. They they completely see that as a as an issue. And now, did you
0: find that writing this book was um or harder or easier? How did it compare with some of the other social psychology books you wrote, like for example, Nudge and some of the
1: others? Comparable. I wouldn't say it was particularly harder. Um I have a bunch of books that no one will ever see because they're so terrible, and those are the really hard ones. The ones that have made it out the door have tended to be, you know, they're all very difficult, and I'm sure I could have done much better with them, but but I, I didn't find it harder than the others, I'd say. I found it. I have a book on Star Wars, as you mentioned, and that, I have to say, was the most fun book I ever did. Uh, that had its own challenges. This wasn't quite as fun as a Star Wars book, but uh, next to the Star Wars one, it's in the top tier of fun books.
0: Now, do these ideas or observations about human behavior, or social psychology, do they just sort of come to you? or do you, do you, How do these ideas sort of Uh, come to you, or how do these ideas for books sort of uh, germinate in your mind?
1: Well, typically reading. So the core social science idea in Hashtag Republic is that uh, like-minded people congregating with one another end up in a more extreme position in line with their original tendencies. So if you've got a group of people who tend to think that uh senator sanders is good they're going to talk to each other and as a regularity after they do they're going to think he's not he's good he's great and you could do this with any number of things people who tend to think that affirmative action is a bad idea after they talk to each other they tend to think it's a terrible idea and i didn't that didn't come to my mind you know on bidden's uh, in fact, I wouldn't have believed it was true, except I did some empirical work a while ago on punitive damage awards with uh, the great Daniel Kahneman and David Scotty, who's a fantastic social scientist in California. And we basically you know tried to figure out how juries, Uh, 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 group judgments compare with their individual judgments and we measured them and we found they got more extreme and once I saw that, I I said to my co-authors who really know this stuff, I said, what's going on here? They didn't expect it either by the way and they said, oh there's a phenomenon called group polarization which at the time had been within the law schools, and I think in many other places in the university, completely unknown, very specialized finding in psychology. And as soon as I heard that group polarization idea, which again means groups end up more extreme than they were before they started to talk, uh, I thought, whoa, that, uh, that has a lot of implications for a lot of stuff, and its connection to the internet is a pretty natural uh, thing to draw.
0: Well, how do you divide your time now between, obviously, you're a professor at Harvard, the legal scholarly work that you have to do, and some of this other stuff, which is perhaps related but a little different to you. Is it pretty much even, or have you spent more time on one or the other as the years have evolved?
1: My teaching core is law teaching. So I spend a significant amount of time teaching a course on administrative law, which is law, law, law. And that's uh, a, a very big chunk of my my uh, engagement with students. Uh, the courses, otherwise, I'm just talking about teaching now. They they always have a law component because I figure that's what I was trained to do, and I, I love working with law students. And and so I'd say the teaching is uh, majority uh, law. In Terms of writing, I think increasingly over the last few years however many probably since I left the government I was in the government from 2009 to 2012. Since then it's been more policy oriented and You know, I got the great blessing of uh, working in the Obama administration. I learned a ton about how government works. And a lot of what I do has policy implications, you know, the environment or highway safety or cost-benefit analysis. And it does have a legal component. So uh, as I look over my repertoire, you know, the the things that are on my uh, computer right now, say well over half have at least a law element, uh, and the bulk of my writing that'll end up in uh, academic journals. It's law, mostly. But some of the stuff that I'm most intrigued by is uh, is behavioral science. I'm uh, keenly aware that my training's in law and not in social science. And so I, I should, if I'm going to do work in social science, I should either co-author it with people who are trained or make sure that about eight of them read it to make sure I don't screw up. I feel more comfortable on the law side.
0: Well, what is your? I mean, what is your thinking? Do you think uh, you you always sort of maintain this mix, or do you see yourself, uh, for example, doing more on the behavioral psychology stuff and less on the laws, you know, as, as in the future? Or what, what do you sort of envision going I, forward?
1: I, I found for myself the best way to be is to be open to inspiration. So to plan would be uh, unwise. Uh, I. I, I Did a little book not long ago on constitutional law. Just I got a little idea about uh, how to think of our Supreme Court and our uh, constitutional tradition. Never would have anticipated I'd do a book on that. I I did get an idea, and uh, I I think you know what book I will be working on in two years uh, will be better if I don't try to plan it out. If it if it comes to me, and probably. More than one will come to me, and several of the ones that come to me, I won't, well, I'll start, but I won't do because they're not any good. So uh, to be open to where your mind goes, uh, not every day. I mean, in a day, you probably have some plan. But at least for me, uh, a, a long-term academic plan uh, uh, would be saltifying. Uh Something's going to come up that, that you don't know about. What about speaking? Do you also
0: speak a lot on these behavioral psychology topics or do you mostly just do the writing or do you also speak on that? I do
1: do do a fair bit of speaking. So I do kind of... uh three categories of speaking. Uh, if there's uh, an academic institution that is uh, kind enough to want to hear what I'm working on, uh, and if it's convenient to get there, I will go there because that's the uh, the best way to test your ideas, to, to learn, to get uh, new directions. And so I, I love that. If, if people say to you, "Will you give a workshop or a paper?" and it's you know it's feasible given the travel schedule, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I love working with governments. So, and I feel it's an honor and kind of the most gratifying thing. So, if a if a city government in the United States or a, a part of our federal government would like to hear me, or if um Uh, uh, another nation, people in the United Kingdom or France would like to hear me on something and and they actually work for their government. I will make every effort to do that. And sometimes I spoke in Taiwan about some constitutional law issues, but uh, there's more interest on the government side in the policy and the behavioral sense. That's the second category. And if there's something like a a nonprofit or a, a civic organization that's Uh, keenly interested in making the world better, and they think some of the things I've worked on is relevant to what they're doing, that's completely inspiring, and I'll make every effort to do that. So I do a lot of speaking.
0: Well, Professor Sunstein, this has been a fascinating conversation. It's great to talk to somebody with such incredibly good ideas. When you happen to come up with the next idea, uh, you'll have to come back and tell me about it. Uh, I would be honored. Thank you so much. This is Richard Chu and Cass Sunstein. Thanks.